I made that point that it's not fitting in because fitting in is not what I want my kids to do. If they, I, I want out of the box thinkers. I want the kid who's going to cure cancer and they're not going to do that if they're following the rules and being compliant. Grab a cup, pour some coffee. We're just going to talk shop. And now it's time for another edulicious episode of the Bedley Brothers Podcast, bringing you what's current and what works in education. Here are your hosts, Scott and Tim Bedley. Bedley Brothers, Bedley, Bedley Brothers, bringing education information like the mother. Bedley Brothers, yep. Bedley, Bedley Brothers, bringing education information like the mother. Yep. First name Bedley, last name Brothers, bringing education information like the mother's yep. with. Tim and Looking forward to that, Scott. You know how much we love just talking some teaching. Oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> but before we talk teaching, we need to talk playing because that is where it's at. <laughs> well, I guess there's uh, been some developments happening lately. Uh, according to Eric, right? They, it looks like they're promoting Global School Play Day in like an entire County, county or something the entire, the entire yeah and, it, and, the, and their entire county is saying play is important and that tim this is just the next step in what is global school play days ultimate vision of bringing awareness to the importance of play for every child and really every adult every person on this planet right yeah we're the only species that uh, plays into adulthood you know usually uh, well, you know, you see a lion or something, there's like lying around. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course I'm lying around a lot too, but I, I, I do play. I enjoy play. Don't you, Scott? Oh, absolutely. And you know what? One of the days of play I enjoy most is global school play day. The first Wednesday in February when kids from around the world, in fact, Tim from 72 nations this last year, and just its fifth year, 72 nations and over a half a million kids and their adults <laughs> aka teachers participated in this and that's just the people that registered tim you know i don't know what the number really is but it's got to be way beyond that that's right so go to globalschoolplayday.com right now and register your class your school your county and uh you know jump in jump on the bandwagon and and really help us raise the awareness that unstructured play is vital for child development and it's just not happening enough these days. Absolutely. So today on our show, we would like to introduce our listeners to uh, an amazing educator. He was the, uh, a finalist for the state teacher of the year in New Jersey. His name is Michael Dunley. Welcome to the show, Michael. Uh, thank you both for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. And I understand that you won another award just recently. Uh, 2018, and it's a mouthful. What was that award that you won? Yeah, that was the 2018 Presidential Award of Excellence for Mathematics and Science Teaching. Is there uh, like an acronym it, for that, Michael? Because there, there is. It's called we have to have an acronym, yeah. right? <laughs> Absolutely. It, it's uh, it's called PAMPS. <laughs> it's not the best acronym out there, but I'll take it because it's a pretty cool award. And just another acronym I will not remember. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's, yeah. that's really cool. That's quite an that's honor awesome. for you. Nice job. Now, yeah, um, we, we had a trip to the White House, which was my first time actually being to the White House. So it was a lot of fun. No way. That's cool. So how was it? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, I mean, it was very uh, familiar in the sense that I've been to Williamsburg, Virginia, and you go to these tours and things like that. So walking through the White House had that feeling, but then you're suddenly hit 
with the immense amount of history that mm. you're walking through and the people who live there and it's mm. a very real house and suddenly what seemed like so far away is very close. Now, did you actually meet the president for this award or how did that um, No, the president has not met with the awardees for the last couple of uh, years, but um, prior it used to be a little bit more um, involved with, with the president. So, but this year, no, we didn't actually meet with the president. We did meet with the secretary of education. Oh, that's cool. Yes. So, I want to start it off today, if you don't mind, talking to you a little bit about just making kids feel included in the classroom. You wrote an article for Edutopia that I just loved, uh, and you came up with five different ways that you get kids feeling comfortable at home, included in your classroom. And you teach, uh, you've been mostly a, a primary grade teacher, is that right? Uh, yeah, my, my first year of teaching actually was preschool. And uh, I've taught first and second, mostly uh, second grade. This is my second year now in third grade. Uh, so I do, I work with more of the young, younger uh, emerging learners. Yes. And, and you know what? At, at, at my school, they would have thought you got like, um, like a promotion because you're now teaching older kids. <laughs> it took me 12 years, but I finally made it to third grade. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we all know that, man, teaching those littles, that's a that's real, the real work. <laughs> it's a lot of work, but there's a lot of joy and a lot of honesty. They uh -huh. do not hold back, and that makes it very, uh, you know, real and authentic. And, um, you know, I in my second year of teaching, back when you were voluntold a lot of things, uh, I was assigned the inclusion classroom. And from that year on, it was no longer a voluntold. It was truly a, a choice. And I swear that I can attribute a lot of my personal success in teaching mm. to working with students who really challenge me and uh, make me rethink of how I can involve and, and make every child feel like they belong and, uh, you know, tap all of their inner potential. Now, one of your ideas for making kids feel included is to leave one desk empty. What, why do yeah. you tell our listeners what, do you, what you mean by that? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because um, in, in my former district I had, you know, back when we had desks, uh, I would always leave one. Um, I mean, we all, teachers are, 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 are creatures of habit. We love to alphabetize things and put things in order. And we like to control the environment as best we can. And then in the middle of the year, in comes a kid with a name that's going to mess up your mailboxes, your alphabetized list that you have. And, <laughs> and you, you know, and it's just like, oh. Uh, and, and no child should ever walk in mid-year and feel like they're an inconvenience. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and it's very human, you know. It, it, it's a reality that suddenly you're going to have to change everything that you do, your groups that are working so well. Um, but you have to really put yourself in their shoes. For a seven-year-old, it's probably the worst thing that's ever happened to them. Mm -hmm. They've left all of their social relationships behind, whatever familiarity they have. They walk into your room and suddenly they're completely out of place. So quickly on, I figured a way that if you create this space that says you were waiting for them, um, it really works out. And in the meantime, if it never happens or until it happens, it gave you a, a zone to put another child that might need a, a new space to go sit in and work for a little while. Uh, it gives you some flexibility with grouping and moving around. But most importantly, it gave a message that by no means is any child ever walking in your room feeling like they're an inconvenience, but they actually, in fact, belong and you were waiting for them. 
Michael, that, that brought to mind something that I've learned. Uh, I live in a community and work in a community that has a lot of different people from around the world. And we have students coming in from China. And in China, I learned uh, several years ago that where you are on the number, what your class number is, is your rank in the class. So if I got a student in when their last name started with Z, they were like 35 in, in like California, right? So their parents thought that they were ranked like the worst in the class. So oh, it was wow. like, it was like this learning curve that I had to say, oh, no, no, you're not, your child's not the worst in the class. We just do it out al like alphabetically. <laughs> right, right. It's like cultural responsive there. Right. Just understanding the cultures that are in your room and, and outside the room and just really having it ready for them. Yeah, I know they do that in Mexico as well. I had a, a little girl that came to me from Mexico and she was, uh, instead of getting grades, they give them that ranking. She was number one in Mexico and she came into my class and became number one in my class too. <laughs> she, was, she was amazing. But anyway, yeah. uh, now I, I love what you said in your article also about, I, I, it really, it gave me uh, some pa a pause. You know, I had to stop and think about my own practice. When you talked about collecting names of the, from the kids of who are the three people you would want to work with. And then once you collected those names, you found out which kids in the class were not chosen really by anyone or put down on the, on the bottom of the list, maybe of somebody. And then what did you do? Or what do so, you do? I, I, full disclosure, I think teachers are thieves and I'm, I'm completely admitting to the fact that I did not come up with that idea, but I feel that I've used it in a way that, that uh, as we all do, we put our own spin on it. Um, you know, when you work with children who have learning differences as I have for 15 years, uh, a lot of the social elements come into play. And uh, so the first thing is you have the kids write down their first choice, second choice, third choice. They're not allowed to let anyone know. You collect the cards. And then I just go through quick and, as you said, find out who's not being selected. Um, but what I'll try to do then is I make them have more social equity in the classroom. So if I need someone to go to the office to get something, I'll make sure one of those kids is the person I select and then they get to choose someone to go with them. So suddenly they're giving out a gift and that's the gift of choice. Like I'm choosing you out of this room. Mm -hmm. And I try to help jumpstart some relationships between that child and the other kids in the classroom. Uh, what is very surprising is that sometimes the kid you thought who was going to be the most popular may end up not being the one anyone wants to work with or um, sit with. Uh, there, there may be some circumstances underlying that you didn't pick up on, um, but, you know, that's happened as well. So it's not always the kids you suspect are not being the ones selected. So it, it gives you a lot of insight into your classroom. And it can often highlight a child who is slipping through the cracks socially. And we all know that the social component and the social emotional learning is critical in order for anything else to fall into place. So it was just one of those things that I've been able to kind of zoom in on. And I, I think it's powerful that sometimes, well, I think always, kids will look to the adult in the room to often start how they see someone else. So a child who may have been the biggest issue or problem in the, the class before you, in the year before you, you come in and you start to honor them and laugh with them and, and uh, praise them. And suddenly the other kids start to see that child in a whole new uh, light. And it, that can be a game changer for them.
Yeah, yeah I, I see that. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree with you more on that. Tim? No, I was just going to say, I, I have a student in my class this year that that was the case for, and uh, he was known as the troublemaker in previous years. And I just, uh, I've been working really hard to change his image and to just, uh, you know, show the other kids all his talents and, and that he's really got a great sense of humor and he's a leader and things like that. And uh, I'm seeing him really turn around and have a different attitude towards school. Yeah, it's amazing what you see. The other children start to see them in that different way. Um, you know, I had a child who people didn't want to, kids didn't want to sit with her. Uh, they didn't want to play with her. She was, um, had a, and you know, in their defense, it was, she was not easy to get along with. But the minute she came in and we started to see the humor and the personality and we rewarded and, and really cherished her for who she was, the other kids started to see it. And suddenly she had people, you know, having lunch with her, you know, at lunchtime or playing with her on the playground. And, you know, it's remarkable how much can change in just a year. And sometimes it might take the way you treat the child for that shift to occur. Yeah, I think, I think along with that, just doing some side coaching with that student who may have, you know, some practices that aren't so welcoming socially uh, is, is pretty powerful and important as well. Yeah, and I've actually used the new relationships as leveraging, you know, with that student where I've turned around and said, hey, you know, you've got friendships now that you didn't have. And you, you're going to risk those if you continue to do this or that. Mm. And it's suddenly they've got something to lose where they didn't before. And it all comes from that, that social equity in the classroom and how, what can you do to really change that conversation. Now, Michael, why is this such a big deal? Why, why does this matter? In, I mean, we're educators. We're here to teach reading and math and science. And so why does this stuff matter? Well, I, I think it goes back to that article, but it's, I guess, my own life. And I think it's all of our lives. We bring all of our lives into the classroom with us. And I think that even adults crave a sense of belonging. And, um, I, and I always, I made that point that it's not fitting in because fitting in is not what I want my kids to do. If they, I, I want out of the box thinkers. I want the kid who's going to cure cancer and they're not going to do that if they're following the rules and being compliant. Mm -hmm. So Fitting in is not belonging. Belonging means that you are a, a critical and vital part of this community. And creating community is the first step to any kind of a learning environment that I'm ever going to be able to, to foster the best kind of learning in. Um, so having kids have a lower level of anxiety or stress comes with them knowing that they're where they're supposed to be and feeling at home in your classroom. And they won't feel that if they have no connections to anyone else in the room. And Michael, that, that makes me think about some of the coaching I've been doing with parents is that if your child feels like they have an important role in their family, it changes the dynamics of that family. Uh, I know for me and my family, we try to make sure that uh, my son understands that his role is important and why it's important. And so I, I think you know, what you're saying is not only powerful in the classroom, but it's also powerful in the, the home. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I have to give, I, I'm very, I stress a lot giving credit where it's due. And my wife is a social worker and, and I honestly think that I have to give credit to her for most of what I've learned about social emotional learning. And as a parent and as an educator, um, I just really had a very good role model in her showing me what's the, the right way and the best way to, to work with young people. 
Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned stress, and I've been learning a lot about that lately and stress having to do with kids and, and how they're behaving and reacting to situations. And if these kids are stressed out in our class, mm. they're not going to be able to learn. They're not going to be able to have any resiliency and, and, you know, drive and passion for what you're doing with them in the classroom with, in terms of content. And so all these things that you're describing right here are going to help to lower those stress levels in the kids' lives and have them feel comfortable and confident when they come into your classroom. Yeah, I think it's a critical component to it. And I think it also needs to be married with honesty, where you're telling the kids what they really need to hear, not what they may want to hear or what you mm -hmm. might want to say. And I think that also modeling for them the vulnerability and the honesty that you as an adult can also bring to them and make them feel safe and secure in admitting that they don't know something so that they are more open to the process of learning. And, uh, you know, I'm always sharing with the kids that, you know, I, I didn't, you know, achieve national board certification the first time I missed by two points and um, had to resubmit. And that, that award that you, that we started this conversation with the, the presidential award, it was the second submission that I got that on. And, uh, and, and so many examples that I'll bring into the classroom where I can really model for them the fact that learning is a very imperfect and a very messy process and one that really requires honesty and feeling a lower level of stress and they go hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. So Michael, uh, maybe we can switch gears just slightly here with you and tell us something else that uh, besides this idea of belonging in the classroom, uh, what else are you into these days? What are you passionate about right now with education? Um, it, it's, I was talking with Scott on a, on a previous phone call and I was really bringing up the fact that about five years ago, I was watching some educators that I know who were really doing a lot of work in the global learning space and the global perspective space. And I really looked at what I was doing and thought, I, I really need to move into that, that zone. And so I've been doing a tremendous amount of global learning uh, projects with my students. I've been able to really truly dive in deep with the interdisciplinary learning projects that are authentic and they're empathy driven. The design thinking process, my superintendent really brought that in and opened my eyes to that. We had some great training for that. And it's really pivoted how I teach in my classroom. And the learning that's going on with the students has been just astronomical and phenomenal. And uh, this, this past month, we were the third year in a row, we were a part of a global climate action project that we ended up having a New Jersey state senator come into the classroom, a local farmer. We had the state's foremost expert on climatology zoom in with the kids using technology. We had a lobster specialist out in Nova Scotia talk to us about the decimation of the population of lobsters due to changing water temperatures. Uh, all this learning, and then we were actually able to take the kids out on a field trip working with this organization called the Pinelands Alliance, and the kids were planting trees in the New Jersey Pine Barrens. Um, and it was just one of these amazing moments where with an inclusion classroom, you have a wide range of abilities and, and learning differences, and every child was 100% engaged with their hands, doing learning, getting dirty from head to toe, and they were doing hard labor carrying heavy buckets of trees, digging holes. Um, it's just been an incredible experience that five years ago, I wasn't doing any of this. Wow. And that just sounds like 
the kids will never forget that experience too. It, it, they, I asked them one time after the senator left, I said, so how does it make you feel? And the one little girl said, I feel really important. I feel really important that a senator came to talk to us. Mm. And I said, well, that's the point. That's why he does it. You know, mm. uh, he, he thinks you are important. And, um, but just having a young eight-year-old change the way they see themselves yeah. is, you know, I don't know what could be a, a greater goal for what we do with our jobs. Yeah, that's life-changing for kids. Along with that worksheet that they did the day before, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. That life-changing worksheet. Tim, way to bring in, like, perfect perspective, though. It's right. You, you, don't, you don't remember those things. You remember those experiences that really impact your heart. And I love the physical demand of that. That's fantastic as well because, you know, to be just – I just picture, Michael, these kids just digging in the dirt <laughs> – that never dig in dirt and and they're like oh, i'm dirty i'm like yeah just go for it it's great <laughs> like like even when they were off task they were playing with mud they were playing with dirt they were playing with water they, they were still and that that goes back to what you started with the whole you know the need for play and that mm. play is actually learning these kids Absolutely. were every single child was doing something of great importance out there in the pine barrens and it was making an authentic positive positive change in our local community. That's our aquifer. You know, South Jersey, we get our water from the Pine Barrens and uh, these trees that they were planting replaced it over, replaced over 400 trees that had been destroyed by people riding on ATVs, all-terrain vehicles. So they were undoing the damage of other humans and they're eight years old and they were making a real positive change. And I'm telling you, I, I went out there not knowing, is this going to be a photo op or is it going to be a really authentic learning like I, I took the risk and they exceeded they were carrying these buckets of trees that were two or three feet tall 10 pounds of dirt in the ball and they were walking through thorn bushes and around blockades to keep from ATVs riding out on the paths and they were digging these holes I'm telling you and, and everyone was showing their dirty hands to the photographer so it, it was <laughs> you mean amazing. they weren't complaining about how heavy their backpacks were <laughs> nope not one right like they, the only thing they kept saying is are there more trees where are they where's the other trees they just they would have kept planning for hours Michael, you you are you are blessed to work in a place that allows you to do these kinds of things <laughs> now michael for teachers that are hearing this that are like oh my gosh this sounds just insane to having kids doing this kind of stuff i'm used to just having them in rows and you know, teaching from the board and having to raise their hands and stuff like that. Where did they get started? Where does a teacher start this journey that you've been on for the last five years? So there's a, there's a, a lot of great free resources out there. And I, you know, everyone starts off small and builds up. No one jumps mm -hmm. into the Pine Barrens, you know, planting trees on day one. Uh, it took me three years to get there on this particular journey. But uh, one great resource is just Empatica, where you're able to connect with another classroom somewhere around the world, 110 countries. Uh, uh, you can join Microsoft EDU, has a community of educators. You can use Skype to connect around the world. The big thing is to start looking beyond your classroom walls, whether it be bringing someone from your community in or reaching out beyond using technology to bring someone in or for your kids to be able to reach out. Um, 
I find that to be the safest way. And, and something as simple as Empatico, where it's all vetted and it's all educators and it's all self-contained is a great place for someone to start. Um, or those other educator communities where you already can connect with somebody. And honestly, we're related to people across the country and I can't think of a single family that doesn't have 10 teachers in it. So, I mean, just <laughs> reaching out to your own family tree and being able to, one of the classrooms we connected with over climate change was in Southern California and they were talking to us about your forest fires. Mm. And then that was uh, earlier in the, no, that was like, it's midday earlier in the morning we had uh, zoomed with a class in Argentina. So it's a really easy way to start. And then once you start to redefine what your definition of good teaching and learning looks like, it just starts to take off. And um, I, I, I'll tell you, you do not have to worry about classroom management or engagement when you start going down this road. No, it, it brings in this other voice. Your kids are so used to hearing your voice. Uh, you bring in these other voices and it's like, oh, wow, this is uh, that power that you want to bring to your voice, but you're using someone else that can provide that for you when your kids have kind of learned that, you know, you've used your voice too much. And, and, you know, they learn. They learn those skills that are so important that they will take no matter what. They, you always hear this whole, like, we don't know what jobs are going to exist when these kids get there. And the only thing we can do is prepare them as best as we can for any job. And mm -hmm. so my kids know how to talk to an adult and listen to an adult. Mm -hmm. And they've been trained to say that if the gentleman, if the senator answered your question, don't ask it. You mm -hmm. know, so and so they're, they're just picking up so many life skills through the process of this authentic learning that transfers into so many different areas. Um, and it's all standards related. So... Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I love it. So, Michael, we're going to play a game with you right now. Uh, and we understand that you <laughs> oh, are... I was really bad at this the last time. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we know that you uh, absolutely love fake coins. <laughs> right. <laughs> Someone's been reading my posts. <laughs> <laughs> so we do gonna... our research. So we're going to call our little game today fake Michael out about coins. Scott, there you go. tell our audience who Michael will be competing for today. Hey, Michael, you're going to be competing for Lilia Armijo, a first grade teacher right here in Orange County, California. If you're able to answer two out of three questions correctly, Lilia will be awarded a free download from Tim, who does Shapegrams. All right. <laughs> Tony, Vincent. Tony Vincent. That's right. Tony Vincent's Shapegrams. We're going to pass along a certificate for you, Lilia, to get a chance to use Shapegrams in your classroom. All right, Lilia. I really hope I do this for you. All right. Well, I hope you know a lot about coins because here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Question number one, Michael. The Constitution of the United States actually has something to say about coins. Huh? Did you know that? Uh, <laughs> okay, Lily, I think you're not. Uh, Come on, you just went to here. Washington, D.C., so you should know all these things. <laughs> all right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which of these is true about the U.S. Constitution having to do with coins? Is it A? The Constitution limits the amount of coins allowed in circulation. Is it B? The Constitution only allows for coins, not paper money. 
Is it C? The Constitution prohibits coins that contain images of foreign leaders. Okay, oh, so one of those okay. is in the Constitution. I'm going to go with A. A, the Constitution limits the amount of coins allowed in circulation. Well, wah, 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 wah. Unfortunately, <laughs> the answer is that the Constitution only allows for coins and not paper money. Yeah. What? I'm going to go trade all my paper money in, Tim. <laughs> all uh. right. Question number two. Coins were not actually minted in the United States until the year 1792. Mm. The coins used in the U.S. up until that point were actually Spanish silver coins minted in Mexico City. Ah. When did these coins cease being legal tender in the United States, these Spanish coins? Is it A? The mid-1800s. it B? The early 1900s. Or is it C? They're still legal. Spend away. <laughs> I wish we had some to spend away. I'm going to have to go with A. A, the mid-1800s. That's correct. So, question number three. Which of the following is not true of U.S. coins? Is it A? There's no such thing as a penny. It's actually called a cent. Is it B? An estimated $10 billion of U.S. coins is just sitting around in U.S. homes and couches. <laughs> or is it C? Until the late 1800s, the United States minted two and three cent coins. So one of those is not true, Michael. Uh, okay. Either it's the penny doesn't exist, that there's $10 billion of U.S. coins just sitting around, or is it uh, that there were two and three cent coins up until the late 1800s? Um, can I ask, what was the amount again that they say is sitting in couches? <laughs> $10 billion. Yeah, okay. All right, so that, that's the one I'm going to go with as being not true. Okay. <laughs> we couldn't fool you with that big, giant number, huh? No, I was like, wait, that sounds like a little bit okay. <laughs> that was from Austin Powers, I think. <laughs> yeah. The actual amount of money, though, sitting around in U.S. homes in coins is $10 million, believe it Wow. Right. I'm going to yeah. buy some couches. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott, how did Michael do on our little ridiculous game? Good job, Michael. You got two out of three correct. That's good enough to be a winner. Woo. <laughs> Congratulations, Michael. Right. You, won, you won nothing. But Lilia, <laughs> she just won Tony Vincent's Shape Ramps. Go check them out. They're awesome. All right, Excellent. Michael. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. You've inspired me. I'm ready to go to work tomorrow and uh, just, you know, do some more belonging in my classroom. Why don't you tell our listeners how they can follow up and, uh, learn more from you and your ideas. Well, I'm a, a big fan of Twitter, as I'm sure you both are, and they can find me at the, um, at Michael J. Dunley is my uh, Twitter address. It was one of those things that I didn't realize when I made it. I should have made it a lot shorter. So it's just Michael J. Dunley. We Sounds love the good. Twitters. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so we hope uh, that you uh, folks connect with Michael and you'll learn more from him. He's got a great, some great ideas and just a really nice guy. Uh, you, you need to reach out to him and, and connect with him. So, uh, and also if you have a, a moment and you can reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can send us a message on Podomatic 
Uh, you can also rate our podcast on all of the places that you find our podcast. And we'd really appreciate that because that's how we get the word out about our show. And Tim, Scott, what else? I, I want to give a special shout out to a couple longtime listeners. There's one named Christina Luce out in New York. And we're really appreciative of her and Sarah Thomas out on the East Coast in the Maryland, Virginia, uh, Washington, D.C. area. We're so thankful for them listening in and continue to share out what we've been trying to do, Tim, for this almost seven years. Just share ideas with teachers who can't get to the conferences, whose districts don't have the money, who they don't have the time because they're spending their time on two to three jobs and just still want to be passionate, love their profession and do their best they can. We're so thankful for all you that are listening. And we want to just say we really appreciate you. And uh, we hope that these uh, seven years have been valuable for you if you've been listening that long. Let us know if you've been listening for a week. We're thankful to have you here, but we hope that this has been a positive experience and something that's provided you with ideas to better your classroom for your students. Absolutely. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the Bedley Brothers today. But most of all, we want to thank Mom and Dad. Try to think about the best show you had. I kind of liked it when you brought on your dad. National Teacher of the Year. That was cool. Bedley Brothers. 2013. 2013. Getting her done. Big Ron here. Getting her done. I think I might change my name to Ron Bedley. So I could be one of those Bedley Brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bedley Brothers, Bedley, Bedley Brothers, bringing education information like no other. Bedley Brothers, Bedley, Bedley.